I want to take you back to um, late February 2020, and we had just finished the last night to shine that was held as a big event all through the building. We even had great weather that day. Uh, outside, so many people from the community were coming and being involved in this, and not only were we accomplishing the good that Night to Shine does in the community, we were reaching out to people and letting the light of Jesus shine in this community. And people noticed it, and they saw that, and they said, there's something good going on there besides just a big event. I mean, there's something, there's a quality to that. We even had the Batmobile there that time. Um, the chief of police got to sit in the Batmobile. And, you know, it was pretty special, the whole thing. Then the pandemic comes in, shuts everything down. And one of the, the changes that happened since that is, okay, well, maybe we have some opportunities to let our light shine, but we're going to have to do it in a different way. And then one of the hardest things to do was to check in on people that we care about because we weren't sure how to proceed with that and we all got lonely and we missed one another and we missed showing up to church and we tried to do it online and that was better than nothing. So I'm pretty excited about all of this momentum that's going on right now because it's a way of declaring that nothing is going to stop God from equipping and empowering His people to be light and salt in a dark and decaying world. I mean, you would think a global pandemic would be the thing that would shut everything down. It doesn't win. It was tough, but it doesn't win. And so now we're seeing a revival of these things. And what I'm, I'm a, telling you this for is this. Don't take it for granted, this wonderful opportunity, all of the opportunities that we have to just simply be the church of Christ in a world that desperately needs Christ. Don't take it for granted. One of the things that represents this momentum is the development of new leaders. You know, it it slowed things down for a while. We have not identified and recognized shepherds in this congregation since 2015. We probably would have done that in 2020 if not because we would have been on about a five-year schedule to do it right then, but we had other things we had to get through. But now, here in 2022, here we are, and we feel ready. And the first part of this is the nomination phase. This is where we're asking you, who are the shepherds that you've spotted? The people who minister to you, the people that can can fit the biblical description and character of shepherds. First thing I want to say is, I've seen so many of you have turned in responses. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. If you haven't done it yet, can I ask you to do that today? Because today is the last day. We, We have to put a time frame on this. Then we have to take all those nominations. Our current shepherds are going to look them over and they're going to then interview people and see who's ready, who's willing, 
who fits that biblical description. But this is just the beginning then of the next four phases until we get to November 13th. So you can, uh, by the way, go to westark.org slash shepherd search, all one word, and you can find the forms online. They're also out here in the lobby, and you can put them right there in that blue box. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the growth that is represented by an elder search. It means that people are maturing in Jesus Christ. It means that we're recognizing the virtues, the values, and the character that you want all of us to have. The way of living that you want your church to excel in so that we can be a light and witness to the world. So that we can carry out your mission. Father, be with us through this. Enable us to be excited, hopeful, and trusting, knowing that you've got this figured out, and we need to just apply to your ways and your will in this. Teach us to be prayerful and humble and obedient. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Along with our uh, shepherd selection, we're also now in a period of recognizing our efforts around the world. That's why we have these flags back here on the, on the stage. They represent the different nations where we have some sort of connection to the activity of God there. Now, we don't own those mission points. They're not, they're not our little satellite churches. They are churches within their own right with their leaders, and we partner with them. Because we believe that we, just like them, are all citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we are all children of God, we are all part of His church, and we're carrying out the same message and the same mission. We're sharing the same message, carrying out the same mission. And for our theme this year, we've taken a, taken a word that reminds us of God's activity in the first century, Acts. There's a, did you know that there's a whole book of Acts? Did you know it? Have you seen it? It's right there. It's after the Gospels. It should be after the Gospel of Luke. Because Luke is part one and Acts is part two. Did you know that? Yeah. I don't know who put John in there where it is. It doesn't need to be there. It should be Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, John. It doesn't matter what order you read them in. They're still God's Word. Acts, for us, is going to stand for advancing the kingdom. We talked about that last week. Caring for Christian family. We're going to talk about that this week. Next week, trusting Jesus in times of crisis, and then in two weeks after that, sending out servants. There's your ACTS acronym. Uh, here's a text that I keep meditating on in ACTS, and I, I learn more and more from it every week. So I want to read it to you again. It's ACTS chapter 11. It mentions Barnabas and, the, and, and what he does to bring Saul, who will later be known as Paul, into the mission. But the things that happen here speak of God working through people like Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Now, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, 
some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Let me pause right there. There were a series of famines that took place during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius sometime in the early 40s of the first century. So about 80, 41 to 45. A great famine you know, would be just like we've had multiple outbreaks of, of pandemics and diseases. They had multiple famines and problems during that season. So yeah, it's a great famine. And it's going to affect people greatly. Now, because of that famine, the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take them to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Notice the actions that take place here. Antioch, they're the outsiders. They're the Gentiles who became followers of Jesus. Nobody saw that one coming. No, really. It it was a bit of a surprise. In fact, in Acts 15, they'll have to come along and say, wait, what is this? Do they have to become Jews first to accept the Messiah? And they realize, no, God always intended it this way. They really just thought it was a Jewish thing. But they find out that God has a much bigger picture in mind. But these outsiders who are now the children of God, they send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, to the promised land. They give as much as they can, and they entrust their gifts to Barnabas and Saul. They don't have to micromanage it. They don't have to call for an accounting from Barnabas and Saul. They say, look, God's got this. Here, you take this. We trust you. And notice that there in Antioch, they're trusting not only Barnabas, but Saul. How quick would you be to trust the guy who was persecuting you and your fellow believers. This is just the amazing stuff that God's Spirit does. It's what we see every day, and I want you to see it as part of what God is still doing. I took some images from a report that uh, Channel 5 News did on Cure back in April. Here you see Ron and Matt. And then notice in that picture on the bottom... We've got the Fort Smith Police Department helping us pack supplies to send to the Ukraine. Let me tell you what these images mean to me, what that video meant to me. It shows me all of these different things that God is doing, working with people in Ukraine. At that time, we've got friends, we've got the Soto family, they've been working in Ukraine. We've got people that have been working here with Cure for over 20 years. And we've got this ministry now to the police in our area, ever since we started doing the back the badge. And God is taking all of those and He's bringing them together and He says, I'm going to use all of these for my purposes. And it'll even be bigger than all of these folks realize or recognize at first. Now ever since I got here, almost 19 years ago, I started figuring out very quickly that there's a lot of activity in this church, and I kept wondering, okay, well, where does it fit? Because I like to to organize things because I'm typically D. 
disorganized, so when I can organize things and I've got a box for everything and a drawer for everything, it makes me feel better. So I want to know, where do missions go? Where does cure go? Who, who's the leader of this? Who's the responsible party for this? Where does it all fit? Well, about nine years ago, I gave up on all that. <laughs> Not because it was impossible to track, but I realized that God doesn't care very much about my little organizational categories. That God says, Benjamin, I'm going to do my work, and if you get it, that's fine, and if you don't, well, I'm still going to do my work. And I think that's what we all need to keep in mind, too is that God is just empowering us to care for Christian family. Nobody asked the people in Jerusalem, hey, are you going to be okay with Gentiles sending you relief for a famine? Uh, I don't know if we can take their money. They're Gentiles. I mean, you know, did they eat unclean food this week? When you're in a famine, you don't care about those kind of things. But more importantly, God says, I'm going to have my people help my people in my way, however I choose. The question for us is, are we going to be obedient and respect that? Or are we going to get a bit proud with God and say, God, I don't know that we can do it that way. Watch out, because God will find somebody else to do it. This caring for Christian family is something that has been happening within our mission efforts for such a long time. I took a look at these images recently and I saw you can, I mean, this, the work here covers recent stuff and stuff that's been going on for a long time. In 2013, I had the privilege of going to Ethiopia and I saw where our people in Ethiopia, they're digging water wells for people who would not have water otherwise. That's caring for the Christian family. And when people see that happening, they realize, hey, why are you people doing this? Because we believe in going where God sends us to do good, to care. Last year, uh, John and Michael Carson told us about the need for food in Honduras, and so they came up with the idea of finding chickens. And people were able to eat in tough times. Same thing happened in Vietnam and in India, where with a little bit of help from us, but mainly we were in the position of saying, how can we help you where you're at? And they said, if you can help us feed people, because, you know, most of us, when we didn't work during the COVID pandemic, or friends maybe that we know, people that we know who didn't work, the government kicked in. That doesn't happen in Vietnam and India. It doesn't happen in Laos either. Last year, we gave to another need uh, in Laos. Uh, was it last year, Jerry, or the flood relief? Yeah. And, you know, we, we know what these problems are like here, but that there, people go hungry. It becomes a great famine. And yet I was stunned by these pictures because I believe it's the top picture and the bottom picture. And you look, and by just a little help from us, but giving it to them to do God's work with that, they were able to improve irrigation. Not only do they overcome the flood, but they yield a crop. I don't preach. <laughs> they go through bad times and it yields a crop. There's something good come out of it. These are all examples, and there's so many more, but these are all examples of caring for the Christian family. It happens over here, it happens in large organizational ways, and it happens in everyday ways. 
It happens over there just the same. But God will equip and empower His people to care if we will allow it. There's three takeaways I want us to to focus on in this. First of all, God empowers us to care across barriers. When God empowers the church in Antioch to care for the believers in Judea, think of all the barriers that are knocked down to accomplish that good work in Christ's name. Not only do you have the barrier of distance from Antioch to Jerusalem, but you have the social and religious barriers of Gentile and Jew. Don't dismiss that for a second. That's that's a huge barrier. People's identities are wrapped up in that. You know, when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, the first thing that he says is, you know I'm not even supposed to be here. That's a great evangelistic technique, by the way. But I think he's acknowledging to Cornelius, look, we know how this works. You're a Gentile, I'm a Jew, I'm not supposed to be showing up anywhere where stuff is unclean. I'm not supposed to be here. You're probably surprised I'm here, but I think God has brought us together. God will send us across barriers that we may not even realize can be crossed when He empowers us to care and to do His work. Think of all the barriers that they had to cross and then ask yourself, when we face barriers whether they be barriers of distance, racial barriers, political barriers, social barriers, can God allow us to cross those? Back in Lake Jackson, there were stories told of the, um, the great strike in the 1970s. And everyone in Lake Jackson works for the Dow Chemical Corporation. And you had management and you had union. And in the early 70s, those two forces... They were not friendly towards each other. But during the strike, people crossed those barriers to help one another and to worship with one another. And they said, what goes on out there is not going to affect us in here. Watch out, brothers and sisters, because you and I live in a toxic culture that is trying to put barriers up between us. Election season is coming coming up. And they want us to think about us and them. Us and them. They want to engender negative feelings between us and other people. Watch out. Beware of that. Because in Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, free or slave. Those distinctions go away in Jesus Christ. They're not totally eliminated, but they don't matter in Jesus Christ. We need to get back to understanding what that spirit is in the early church where people were brought together as one because the thing that identified them was Jesus. God empowers us to care in His name. Not only across barriers, but amid extreme threats. Agabus the prophet said that there was going to be a great famine Famines are frightening in the ancient world, and they're still frightening today, but we don't feel it as much as they did or as others do. 
But famines are frightening because it means there will be no food and people are going to die. What we think we know about the world right now is that because of wars and because of uh, other things going on with supply chains and pestilence, just all the stuff you hear about on the news, what we think we know as a, on, a, on the whole is next year or so, maybe more, it's going to be bad. There's going to be droughts. There's going to be famines. They're already starting to experience some of that in Europe. Now, I'm not a prophet like Agabus, and I can't predict things, and I don't know of any prophets that are telling us this, and if God used prophets in the first century, then maybe he uses weather satellites and he uses educated people who, who know a little bit about how all this works, and we do have access to what's going on, and we can make some predictions. Now, we can deny it, and that'd be great. If everything turns out roses and we don't have famines and drought, then blessed be the name of the Lord. But if they do, then blessed be the name of the Lord. And let the church be salt and light in that fearfulness. And let us be empowered to care for others. Not to worry about how we're going to do it. Again, I want you to watch out and I need you to protect yourself, brothers and sisters. Because you and I are given every day the news. And the news that we often get is not the good news, it's the bad news. And that bad news points out to us everything that's going on in the world and everything that's wrong, but rarely, if ever, is a solution or hope given. Instead, we're told to watch out that this is doom, that this is despair, this is the end of all things, this is the end of life as we know it. If we are given any kind of option for hope, then we're told, vote for this party, vote for that party. Do this, buy more of this, change this, keep tuning in. We want to keep you on pins and needles because we need your dedication. That, that's what the world will give us. But, but friends, you and I know the good news. We know that God is in control. We know that God is both the creator and the sustainer of all things. We know that Jesus Christ has come to seek and save the lost. Keep that in your heart and remember that no matter what these threats are, God is greater. And Jesus Christ can empower us to care. And finally, notice that God empowered them to care. And I couldn't think, you know, I like the fact that it's one, two, three, they all start with an A. Did you catch that? You can take a picture of this one. But he, he, he asked them to give at the apostles' feet. Now I keep wondering, what, what, what is going on here exactly? I mean, it almost sounds like Peter and the rest of them are standing up on a podium like this, and it's kind of like coins for Christ or something, you know. Here they come with their little gifts, putting it in their buckets. You know? Maybe John's singing a song, I have decided, you know, and then they're all coming up and putting the proceeds there. Why? What is special about putting it at their feet? Well, whether it's reality or if it's a, you know, a, a figure of speech, and it could be either one of those or a little bit of both, the point is that when people are giving, what they're doing is they're taking the proceeds 
from whatever it is that they're selling or whatever it is that they have, and they're saying, look, we want to give this to you, the apostles. By placing it at their feet, they're saying, you're the ones that God has entrusted to distribute this as it's needed. Because you are the ones who represent the leadership of Christ among us. Notice that in the early chapters of Acts, when it's described what they did, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is it that the apostles were teaching? They were teaching the news about Jesus Christ. The apostles were those who were trusted with the Spirit of Jesus. So when the Christians come and entrust those gifts to them, they're saying, look, we're just going to be givers. Because if you have too much control over what you give, then it can lead to all sorts of temptations to give to the people that you think are more worthy than others, to give to people in such a way that it makes you look good. Maybe not to give everything you can because you think, well, I don't know that I support those people. I don't know that I should give to that because, I mean, they're bringing Gentiles into the church. Next thing you know, we'll all be gathering together for the Lord's Supper and there'll be bacon. I mean, what are we going to... This can't be right. We start getting funny ideas like we're in charge. And that actually happens in Scripture. Barnabas is first introduced as one of those who is comfortable giving and and happy and joyous to do so. Before you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you really have to read the story of Barnabas. Otherwise, it won't make sense. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. You see why unity is so important? Not just unity in thought, like in in mind, but they're also unity in heart. They have been empowered to care for one another. There's much more going on there than just giving everybody a quiz and a litmus test. There's a spiritual unity there. They're all believers of Jesus. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions. But they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And an abundance of grace was at work among them all. Let me just pause there for a second. Other than the church, who else is telling the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? No one. It's what makes them unique. It's what continues to make us unique. Is that we have this word about Jesus. That God raised Him from the dead and exalted Him and gave Him a name above all other names. And that He's going to return. But because they believe in that gospel, there were no needy persons among them. Now, do you see what Luke just did there with verse 33 and 34? Because sometimes we can compartmentalize our faith and our good works. So over here, we have doctrine and biblical teaching, and we say, yeah, we're doing that, we're teaching that right. Okay. Get that correct. Now over here, we need to do some good works. Why? Well, keep everybody busy, keep them out of trouble. We see them doing good works. We see these other groups doing good works. We need to do that too. We can do it because we have resources. We need to give because we're very wealthy. 
See, the more you do that, the more those get separated. But in here, here in, in this story that Luke is telling, it's because they bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's because they have so much grace that they don't have any anxiety about giving away what they have. Are you going to keep all that? Why do I need to keep all that? I'm going to live in eternity. That stuff's not going to last. Or are you going to give more of that stuff that you have? I mean, is that wise? Hey, I've got all I need. I've got grace. Years ago, let's stay with the mission theme. Years ago, I was in Nicaragua talking to young people there who are part of the church and I was, you know, talking to them about their plans, like I often did with young people in America, saying, tell me what your plans are. Tell me what you have in mind to do. One young lady, a sister in Christ, she said, oh, you know, I'm working here at this hotel for now. But she said, I tell you, she said, I want to go to America one day and, 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 and study, and that'd be great. I said, I think that's good. Stick with your education. You know, find a way to save what you have, you know. She said, yeah, I know, the money might not be there, but hey, I know this. I've got a father who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns all the gold and silver in the hills. And my first thought was, who's this deadbeat dad of yours then that's not paying your way to America to go to school? And then it hit me. Oh, she's talking about God. (laughs) And that taught me a lesson because I'm not inclined. See, my doctrine was over here. And my idea of good works and money and means were over here. They were not connected. But for her, they were the same. Because she knew that whatever happened to her and whatever country she was in, she was wealthy in God's grace. And that's what mattered most. I've never forgotten it since then. And always tried to keep those two together. Those who owned properties... Or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Now Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is, one who encourages, this is where we first see Barnabas, he was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field. He sold it. He brought the money, placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Barnabas is an example of somebody who's getting it right, who's got this all together. He abounds in the grace. He understands the message of the resurrection. On the other hand, a man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he withheld some of the proceeds from the sale. He brought the rest of it, placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. He's done just the same thing that Barnabas did, other than he kept some of it back. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of your land? Wasn't that property yours to keep? And after you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people, but to God. Now, holding back part of it wasn't the problem. It's the reason why he held back part of it and the fact that he wasn't upfront about it. And what he was doing was participating in a deception that he was sharing just like everybody else when in fact, he was holding out. 
his faith and his good works were not as connected as they needed to be. He was keeping them compartmentalized. When Ananias heard these words from Peter, he dropped dead. Everyone who heard this conversation was terrified. Some young men stood up, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife entered, but she didn't know what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, tell me, did you and your husband receive this price for the field? She responded, yes, that's the amount. Peter replied, how could you scheme with each other to challenge the Lord's Spirit? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out too. And at that very moment, she dropped dead at his feet. And when the young men entered and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her with her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Well, that's an encouraging tale. But it's important that we have this account. And this is why I say you've got to have the example of Barnabas as the counterexample. Peter is not interested in killing people who don't give what they need to give. In fact, Peter's not really in charge over who drops dead and who gets praised. Peter's not doing that. Because Peter's a shepherd and he knows, just as he will in the case of Simon the sorcerer, when Simon the sorcerer says, hey, I like this Holy Spirit stuff. How do I get in on that action? I need a little bit of that. Peter says, you don't play around with this stuff, Simon. I've seen people killed because they've messed with this spirit and offended it. You don't want to be there. I'm tired of getting the guys to come around and do funerals. I'm tired of seeing spiritual death too because we get so excited and and so anxious and so upset about things that don't matter. Peter's word, and the word here is, you need to have a care. Have a care both in terms of cautiousness, but also have a care in the sense that we want to be the caring, compassionate people that God empowers us to be. Peter's not doing this because shepherds are not sin sheriffs, and neither are you. (laughs) I learned that term this week. You know, the sin sheriff is the person that goes around looking for everybody that needs to be ticketed. Ah, I caught you here, I caught you there, I caught you here. That's not the role. God didn't wait around to say, Peter, did you catch anybody that needs to be put to death? That's just the power of the Holy Spirit. And because Ananias and Sapphira were challenging the Holy Spirit and going up against it, the Holy Spirit can be dangerous. So Ananias and Sapphira are going into this as if they have no care. They know how this is done. They think they can cover this. And they're withholding what they have for whatever selfish, sinful reasons that they may think. But God says, that's not going to infect my kingdom. People have a care after that. We need to respect the the power that empowers us to care. Again, we can get caught up in the idea and say, you know, we're just going to do good works. We're just going to do good works. That's fine. But do we really know the power that comes from that? Let me tell you another Lake Jackson story real quick. Our congregation was next to a house that burned down one week. 
And we at the church said, we need to do something for them. We need to do something for them. Our church neighbor from across the way called us up and said, hey, uh, we want to give something too. Now, we lived on church row there, all of our churches. You had different denominations along the way. And, you know, this was my, uh, if I remember right, this was my, my, my Methodist colleague over there and a British guy. And, and he said, well, hey, we heard about the family too. We want to give. And I'm thinking, no, nah, we got this covered. We got this covered. We'll take care of it. He said, well, we have funds. Well, we don't, we'll give the funds to you, whatever. You know? And I said, no, you, just, you do what you need to do. We've got this covered. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, look, I'm not really interested in the notoriety that we get. I just know this, that whatever gift needs to be given needs to be given in the name of Jesus Christ. And it dawned on me that I wasn't giving our gift. We weren't giving our gift in the name of Jesus. We were doing it so that we would look good since we were their neighbors. And church, when you're trying to represent Christ, that's not good enough. We need to represent Jesus in all things. We can't worry about our own reputation. We can't worry about what the world thinks of us. But we know what we think of Jesus. That taught me to respect the power that empowers us to care. And that any time we do that, the glory needs to go to God. The glory is His. That's why we give our gifts to the feet of the, of the church's leaders or however that's supposed to be done. Because we need to enjoy the goodness of giving. And by the way, that's a much better way to give than to give on our own terms. I mean, if you want to share what you have, that's fine. But if you're just giving to make yourself feel good, think about why you're doing that. Are you just trying to prove that you're a good person? Or can you share with others and do it in the name of Jesus Christ? For a world in crisis, and since the world is in crisis, this means that the church should be what everybody is looking for. Every tribe, every group, every party of people wants to find the solution that's going to solve all the problems of the world in this life. But only the church is truly equipped and empowered to do that and to be that. Don't, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good groups. There's a lot of good groups that do a lot of good things. But only the church is truly empowered and equipped to represent the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So we need to have a care. God empowers us to have that care across barriers, amid extreme threats, there's no, there's no reason to fear and say, I don't know, times are too tough, I don't think we can do this. We can't, but God can. We can't cross those barriers, but God can. And we can trust others and just do our duty of giving and be obedient to Him. We're going to sing and we're going to go around the Lord's Supper table. And I, uh, are we standing for this one, Brent? Okay, let's stand and sing this song. <laughs>